So, um, right now, as you all know, we are in a season of prolonged suffering. Now, whether we, whether we recognize it or not, whether we realize it or not, I know all of us feel it to some degree. Um, the coronavirus is now up to 2.4 million cases, roughly 2.4 million cases worldwide, 165,000 uh, deaths, over 750,000 cases in the U.S. alone. And I believe just recently one report came out saying that 22 million people have filed for unemployment. I know that, you know, some of you have. And as I've stated before, there's just kind of this general anxiety and uncertainty that we're all feeling right now. You know, again, I think for many of us, for most of us, there are times where it feels like everything is the same, and then there are these times where we feel like, will anything ever be the same? And so we're all going through through. I think we're all kind of on a spectrum of how we're handling it. Um, I think some of us want to just find things to do to simply wait it out, right? We're just looking for, I know, uh, I know people are like gaming again. I know people are like just, they're searching, they're scouring the internet, you know, going through social media, going through YouTube, you know, to find things to do, to find things to watch, right? To, um, to kind of ignore everything that's happening in the world and just just wait it out, right? Uh, I think others of us are getting incredibly political. You know, like this is an opportunity to change the system. This is an opportunity for social, political, economic upheaval, like to, to get into the structure for revolution. Like that is kind of a big sentiment that I see. Some are seeking social reform, fighting causes like you know, racism and inequality. Um, not to mention there's all this, there's all this complications. There are these complications with things like stimulus and filing for unemployment and there are all these things happening. And I feel like there's just kind of this sense that um, there's this question in our hearts, like what are we supposed to be doing right now? And this is, this is a question that I feel it's something that I think about because obviously even just with regard to ministry, it's like, what can we do? It's hard. We can't meet in person. Evangelism even is, is difficult, you know, right now. Um, you know, missions, uh, you know, many of you guys know, but, you know, Heather, she hasn't been able to, to go to Thailand like her plan. And it's just kind of like, what are we supposed to be doing? Like, what is this season supposed to be about? And it's a fair question. You know, are we meant to just read the news until we're overwhelmed? Are we meant to be angry? Are we meant to just drown ourselves in Tiger King until we're numb and there's just nothing left? Like, you know, what, what are we supposed to do, right? Because this kind of season can be confusing, uh, particularly when we don't understand what suffering is about. What is the purpose of suffering? And so that's actually uh, a new series that we're starting today. Um, purpose in suffering. And there are many purposes to suffering uh, that the Bible gives us. And in this series, we're going to be looking at, um, we're going to be looking at those. We're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say. 
what the Word of God has to say about the purpose of suffering so that we might be able to recognize that, one, there is purpose in suffering, and two, how we can endure this suffering with that purpose in mind, how we can go through this time uh, intentionally understanding or at least getting some insight into perhaps what God is doing in the world or what he in, the way that he encourages us to respond. So that's what we're going to be exploring uh, today as well. And so if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 13. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Luke 13, 1 through 5. Obviously, it's right there on your screen if you want to look there. And so Luke 13, 1 through 5, this is God's word. And it says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, I'm going to just give you uh, the main idea of the message today right now. This is one main idea, and then we will look at three kind of subpoints under this main idea. But the main idea is all human suffering is meant to turn us to repentance. All human suffering is meant to turn us to repentance. Now, if we look at the text, there are essentially two different incidents that Jesus will that are brought up in this text. The first is, it says, Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. Now, that's a way of saying that these people, uh, these Galileans came to offer sacrifices. Now, as you know, back in the day in Jesus' time, when they would offer sacrifices, they would bring these animals, and the animals would be, it's a very bloody process, right? These animals would be killed, and the blood of the animal was meant to be um, this, I mean, it, is, it was symbolic. It was representative of blood that must be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so these, these animals would be, you know, butchered, essentially. And in this incident, obviously there is blood of the animals, but when it says the blood of these Galileans was mingled with their sacrifices, it means these Galileans were also killed, right? So we don't know the exact circumstances of this incident, but these people were coming to offer sacrifices, and they were killed while they were offering their sacrifices. Like, if, whether that's literal or metaphorical, you know, it's not clear. But they were offering sac sacrifices, and then they were killed. Now, we know, you know, the, the mingling of the blood, whether that's literal or metaphorical, you know, we don't really know. But we can call this essentially an atrocity. You know, Pilate is the one who is committing this. He is, for some reason, killing these people while they are offering sacrifices, and that's terrible, right? This is a, this is a tragedy, and so these, these people come, and they bring this up, some of those present, they bring this up to Jesus because they want to know what Jesus thinks about it. And he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way, because they faced this atrocity? And he says, no, 
So he makes it clear what they're thinking. They're probably thinking, okay, like, Jesus, why did this happen to them? Because they were really bad? And he says, no, well, it wasn't because they were particularly bad sinners. It wasn't because they were particularly bad people. And then Jesus himself brings up another incident, or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. So there was another tragedy, but we could call this perhaps an accident because it doesn't seem like it was on purpose that this tower fell. But, you know, when a tower falls over and kills 18 people, that's tragic. So whether it is atrocity or accident, Jesus responds, however, in the same way. He makes it clear that they were not worse sinners either. They were not worse offenders. They were not particularly terrible people, and yet they faced atrocity and accident, tragic events. Now, Jesus, I think they're looking for something from Jesus, like, Jesus, why did this happen? Why did this tragedy take place? And in both circumstances, he wants to make it clear that it's not because they're bad, but then immediately he turns and he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So that's interesting. He doesn't really answer their question because it seems like their question is, Jesus, why did this happen? He only says, why it, uh, what's not the reason that it happened? He says, well, the, let me tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll dispel one notion that you may have, that you probably have, which is that these were really bad people and that's why this happened. He says, that's not the reason that this happened. And then he goes on to say, he just kind of moves on from that, and he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, what does likewise perish mean exactly? Is Jesus saying that unless they repent, they will all die in the same way? Now, it doesn't seem like that's what he's saying, like physically die in the same way. It doesn't seem like that's what he's saying because they can't die both ways, right? He can't be saying, well, if you don't repent, then you will die both by accident and atrocity because you can only die once physically. So he's shifting what they're thinking. They're talking about this physical thing, but Jesus moves on from the physical, and he's going to something spiritual. He's talking about spiritual death. Unless you repent, we'll all face a similarly tragic spiritual death. So instead of answering the question, why did this suffering happen, Jesus tells them what they should do in light of this suffering. He doesn't answer, why did God allow this or cause this suffering? But rather, how should we respond to this suffering? And again, his point is, all human suffering is meant to turn us to repentance toward God by leading us to recognize that we all deserve suffering. He's saying these people weren't particularly bad. And yet, if you don't repent, you can, you can face suffering, a similarly tragic suffering, though maybe not physical, it will be spiritual. So you shouldn't be amazed that people were killed by Pilate or for, ma for that matter that they were killed by this tower. What you should be amazed at is that you were not killed with those sacrifices even though you could have been. Now, uh, this point is reinforced in Revelation 16. If you look at Revelation 16, 8 through 11, says, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. 
They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. So it says twice right there, they did not repent, right? Right before verse 10, they did not repent and give him glory. And then at the end, they did not repent of their deeds. So it's clear that this suffering that they're facing was meant to lead them to repentance, So there is an expectation that because of the suffering, they will repent, but they don't repent. See, these plagues and and sores should have led them to repent, but they did not repent. Now, if that's our main idea, all human suffering is meant to turn us to repentance toward God. Um, How? How is that supposed to happen? How is suffering meant to lead us to repentance? Okay, now, um, so, so we're going to do three points underneath that main point. Okay, here's the first kind of sub-point. Suffering exposes not horrible sinners, but the horrors of sin. Suffering exposes not horrible sinners, but the horrors of sin. Now, what do I mean by that? What the people were looking for was God. Uh, or, um, excuse me, not God, they're asking, Je- they're, they don't know Jesus, God. <laughs> so they're asking Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, you know, why did, this, why did these horrible things happen? Was it because they were horrible sinners? And Jesus is saying, no, it's not that they were horrible sinners, but that sin itself is horrible. Right now, now, to understand this, we have to remember what sin is. Remember, sin is not just doing something bad, although that's a part of it. But the bad things we do are not the root cause of sin. They are not what is at the root of sin. They are, you know, the fruit of sin. They are the symptom of of sin. So the problem, the root cause of all the problems in our lives and the suffering in the world is not sins, plural. It's not the sins that we commit. It is sin, singular. It is that sin exists. So what is sin? Sin is essentially, uh, to put it simply, it is worshiping anything over and above God. It is, and we could, we could say it many ways, but deeming something more worthy than God or giving something or someone more glory than God, or we could also put it this way, uh, preferring something to God, to value something or someone more than God is sin. Romans 1 makes this clear. Romans 1, 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And this is the reason that Paul explains in Romans 1 why God was pouring out his wrath on the world because they did not honor him as God. They did not give thanks to him. And instead of worshiping creator God, they worshiped creation. So whether it be person, thing, or idea, what we prefer ultimately, when we ultimately prefer created thing to the one who created everything, that 
is sin. That is idolatry of the heart. It is dishonoring to God. It is harmful for us. And it is the heart of all our subsequent injustice, hate, theft, murder, lies. That's sin. Now, suffering was introduced into the world by sin. Before Adam and Eve, you know, before Adam and Eve sinned, or when Adam and Eve were first created in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, they could do anything. They could go anywhere. They could eat whatever they wanted. They could enjoy all of creation. They could do, you know, everything was free. Everything was at their disposal except the one tree at the center of the garden, right? To me, that seems not very restrictive. That seems like a pretty great deal. You can have anything you want. Just don't have this one tree. Now, of course, after they sinned, after the fall of Genesis 3, then all of creation became tainted. And we went over this passage a couple weeks ago, but this is Romans 8, 18 through 23. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, look, now if you look at this passage... You can see that it talks about sufferings of this present time, the sufferings of this present time, and then it goes into this idea that creation itself is subjected to these sufferings, futility, right? It is subjected to this, and then included in those creation, in all of creation, is our own bodies, which we eagerly await for. We eagerly await for the redemption of our own bodies. So we can see that our bodies even our bodies are constant reminders of physical suffering that has come about as a result of sin. Like, I was telling Boomi this the other day, but like my muscles, <laughs> my muscles are literally, they're atrophying right now because of this lockdown. Like I can't, I'm not, you know, I should be doing some kind of exercise at home, but I, you know, just, I can't go to the gym and I can't play basketball. So I'm just like, like, it's seriously, it's like, like, I can feel it. I can feel it in my body. In fact, um, uh, you know, this week, it was Micah's birthday this week. It was his fifth birthday. And so, you know, he got all these, he got, uh, one of the things that he got, he got a lot of Lego sets. So he got some Lego sets from his friends. You know, we got him some Lego sets. And it's just a bunch of stuff, like, it's like spaceships and these little spacemen and little construction guys. And we got them this Marvel, this like Tony Stark layer thing, you know. And I didn't have Legos when I was little. I didn't really play with Legos. And so obviously he gets these sets. I'm, I'm the one who has to put them all together. So I'm sitting on this. I, I have this wooden step stool that I sit on because it's easier for me to sit on that than to sit on the floor. So I'm sitting on that. I'm putting together his Lego sets, and we had to do this, like, we, we were being serious. 
<laughs> you know, I'm putting it all, I'm trying to put it all, it was his birthday, I'm putting this all together for him. And, um, you know, Boomy's helping, it's like, it was like surgery, honestly, it's like I'm there, I'm like, can you give me a three by one, a three by one white, can you do a two by two with a little hinge on this, like, it's like we're asking, Boomy's like, here, and she is, I don't know if you guys have ever done, like, a task with Boomy, like, a puzzle, or, like, this, like, assembling something, or make, she is very, like, task, you know, I like to, like, joke around and go at a leisurely pace, she's, like, just on it, we're just, she's separating everything into pieces, and we're doing this for, like, hours, literally, like, at a point, she, she, organized it all for me and she went she's making lunch and I'm doing this for hours and it was time you know it was done it was like oh this is great it's done and I went upstairs to go change and I literally I collapsed <laughs> I collapsed because I was sitting on this wooden step stool for like hours and my legs it was this weird delayed I had this delayed reaction where my legs fell asleep and I collapsed on the floor and I, I literally, I couldn't, I couldn't walk. I fell down. And then I was laughing hysterically. And Boomi was like, what's going on? What happened? And I told her what happened because that's like our bodies even. And I know some of you guys just think this happened to me because I am in terrible shape. And that's fine. <laughs> that's probably true. But all of us, right, like whether, and you can exercise and eat well, which are things that we should do. But we cannot stem the time, like we cannot stop the physical decay of our bodies, right? It happens. It is, in fact, it is part of the consequence of sin that all of creation, including our bodies, are now subject to decay and eventually death. Now, there is a question here that we need to ask, and the question is this. Why did God subject the physical creation, including our bodies, to this suffering when it was the hearts that did the sinning? Why does God subject the physical creation, including our bodies, to suffering when it was a heart matter? The sin that Adam and Eve committed was not a physical not primarily a physical thing. It was a heart decision to act in preference to rebellion rather than in obedience, to listen to the serpent rather than to listen to God. So why was the creation subjected to futility and suffering? And part of it is this, and I'm, I'm summarizing something that I read from John Piper uh, this week. Brought him up again, my mentor. Who doesn't know? He's my mentor. Um, he actually wrote a book, uh, Coronavirus and the Cross, or Coronavirus in Christ, which is crazy. This guy just wrote a book in like a week or something like that. And it's free, by the way. You should read it if you, if you have time. You can, you can read it or you can listen to it. It's all free. Um, but I'm summarizing something he said, and it's this idea that we aren't viscerally affected by the lack of honor that God has given. Do you guys know what I'm saying? Like, like the fact that we don't, like sin, right, as we've said, sin is to prefer something over God. But the fact that we do that all the time doesn't affect us. Like, we're not, we're not, we don't feel the horror of it. We're not disgusted by it. It's not repugnant to us. The fact that, like, we don't stay up late at night thinking, man, why do I prefer everything to God? The fact that we spend 95%, you know, many of us, our time, our effort, our thoughts, our energies, that 95% of that is dedicated to things, to matters that we 
care about more than God. That's not because we are blinded by sin because of the fall. We don't see how ugly that is. Right? Hardly anyone in the world feels the horror of preferring things to God. But physical suffering is visceral and reveals the horrific nature of sin itself. It's visible. It's tangible. You can see it. You can hear it. You can feel it. So while we may not lament that we kind of pitifully treat God sometimes, we do lament sudden cancer. We do lament what appear to be random acts of terror. We do lament plane crashes and hurricanes and, for that matter, pandemics. We do lament these things, these physical sufferings. When we see them, even whether we experience them or whether we are just witnessing them, which is the case in this passage. John Piper writes this. He says, physical pain is God's trumpet blast to tell us that something is dreadfully wrong in the world. Disease and deformity are God's pictures in the physical realm of what sin is like in the spiritual realm. It is God's trumpet blast to tell us that something is dreadfully wrong. Physical pain, physical suffering. What is disgusting to you? Like, what disgusts you? What is repugnant, ugly? So I was thinking about this, and actually, I recently saw uh, Parasite, which was, you know, I hadn't seen it. Part of the reason I hadn't seen it was because before the, before the movie became, like, kind of got big, like people knew about it, my dad had watched it, and he basically told me about it. He basically spoiled the entire movie for me. And so I was like, I didn't want to. I was like, okay, great. Thanks a lot, Dad. You're like, and at, at certain, he re- literally all the twists in the movie, he just like totally spoiled for me. And so by the time I watched it, I kind of knew everything. But there's this scene in the movie, and this doesn't really spoil much. So if you haven't seen it, don't worry. But there's a scene in the movie where uh, the, main, the main family in the movie, they live in this kind of semi-basement. It's kind of like underground. And uh, there's a scene in the movie where uh, it rains a lot and the sewage system kind of breaks. And uh, they have to go into their home and kind of salvage things. It's like a flood, basically. And it's pretty gross, right? Because <laughs> the, the sewage is out there. And so it, imagine... Imagine, because when I see things like that, I imagine myself in that situation. And imagine wading through water mixed with waste and trash and kind of urine interspersed throughout, trying to salvage the pieces of your life. Like you're going into your home trying to get things out. And there is a, there is a picture, you know, the way, it's, the way it's presented in the film is just, you know, it's great, but the, the daughter you know, uh, Jessica or like Kijong, that's her name. But she's sitting on the toilet while, while basically feces is spewing out. And, you know, she's like having a cigarette and, and it's like flooding everywhere. And I think about that and I'm like, that is, that is like, that's disgusting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, that's gross. Like this face I'm making right now is the face I was making when I was watching the movie by myself in front of my computer. I'm like, oh gosh, that is really disgusting. That's kind of horrifying. And my question to you is, do you find sin horrifying? So I'm not talking about sins. 
Because some sins we do find horrifying. But I'm talking about sin. The fact of sin. At least, I think most of the time, most of us don't. Unfortunately, what I have seen too often is that we both celebrate in sin and we celebrate sin. Like, have you ever celebrated? Remember, sin is preferring something other than God to God. And have you ever celebrated a reprieve from God, from service, from discipline, from church, from ministry, from worship, from community, a reprieve, relief from God? I'm not talking about rest, which all of us need. I'm talking about the enjoyment of the absence of God. Because that is the essence of sin. And if we don't find that horrifying, it is an indication that something has gone wrong. In fact, many who call themselves Christians today consider desensitization to sin a sign of maturity. I've seen this too much. Uh, in fact, I was reading this book. Uh, it's called um, The Stories We Read, or The Stories We Tell. The Stories We Tell? The Stories We Tell, I think, by Mike Osper. And it's, um, you know, there was this section in the book where he was talking about this, this guy, this brother who came to him who was struggling with uh, kind of um, like sexual sin. He, he was struggling with his girlfriend and also pornography. And so, and he went through this entire discipleship process with him. And he kind of got into his life and he said, hey, okay, this is what we need to do. Like, and and the, the, the guy, he was really willing. You know, he was sharing this openly and he like wanted to change. He wanted to repent. And so he was, he was confessing it and he was willing. He said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And Mike Cosper's like telling him, okay, well, this is what we need to do. Why don't you move your computer here? You know, don't hang out with your girlfriend, you know, at, at these times or when in private. And they kind of went through this, this whole process for hours. They're discussing these changes that he needs to make to his, uh, to his life. You know, and it not, this isn't legalistic. It's, he wanted to do these things to become disciplined, to follow Jesus, to take his discipleship seriously. And then at the end of the whole thing, he says... Um, the, the guy, he says, hey, are you going to watch this movie this weekend? You know, and apparently the movie was, if you, if you believe the trailers, it's like a really kind of, it's a movie that espouses a lot of these things. And there's like uh, things that would be tempting, presumably, to this guy. And so Mike Cosper says, oh, like, like he's kind of, he's actually kind of flabbergasted, and he says, like, what? Like, we just spent hours talking about these changes you need to make. Why would you go watch that movie? And the, the guy's response was, oh, don't worry about it. Those things don't bother me. Like, those things don't affect me. Now, I hear this kind of thing all the time. And what I would say is, if it doesn't bother you when you see the kind of hyper-violent, over-sexualized, greed-filled hedonism that the world peddles, it's not because you've developed a tolerance to temptation. Because there's no such thing. 
that doesn't exist. Right? Like, it's not because you've grown strong and now you can control your urges. No, there, there's only desensitization to sin. It's numbness. It is ignorance. In reality, the, the tragedy of desensitization is that we also become desensitized to God's grace. Have you ever found that? That it's hard to reckon with the glory of God, even as you may sing something like at the cross, uh, you would speak about the greatest injustice turned into the greatest act of God's grace and the love of God poured out on his people and you feel not much. The prospect of that desensitization is truly horrible. It is horrifying. So when we are affected by the physical suffering in the world, we should direct that visceral response toward internal human sin because sin is the cause of all suffering. Not the sins of people, but the sin that exists in all of us as a result of the fall. Do not ignore it. Do not turn away from it. Do not play it off or play it down. Turn it to sin. Okay, so that is our sub-point one. It is the longest point. Don't worry, all the points won't be this long. But suffering reveals the horrors of sin. Okay, and here is our sub-point two. Suffering is an opportunity to examine ourselves. So while these people come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, what did those people do so wrong that they suffered? Jesus says, go examine your own heart. Unless you repent, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Now, sometimes we think, what did they do to deserve this? And sometimes we think, what did I do to deserve this? But Jesus is saying, hey, be careful. You know, when you see any of this suffering, see it as an opportunity to examine your own heart. To see what sin is there. Now, I've said this before. I always liken sin to a dangerous animal. You know, Genesis 4, when uh, God talks to Cain, he says, you know, sin's crouching at the door. Right? Like, be careful. It's, it's ready to pounce on you, essentially. Right now, I don't know if you've seen Tiger King. I actually haven't seen it. <clears throat> a friend told me about it. And, um, but apparently it's got like 5 billion minutes, <laughs> 5 billion minutes viewed this past week. That, those are the stats from Netflix. So, which is crazy. I can't even wrap my mind around that. But I haven't seen it, but a friend told me about it. And, and I was like, what is it about? Like, I was asking him about it. Like, I don't get it, right? Like, what is it? He, said, he explained it's this kind of documentary about this guy who, like, you know, it's into tigers and stuff. And he told me the one story about um, how Saf, you know, the, the staffer lost her arm by sticking her arm into a cage. And, you know, so she lost her arm, and then they said it's going to take a couple years for reconstruction. I don't know if these are spoilers or not, but sorry. <laughs> but, um, you know, when he told me that, and, and apparently they said, oh, it's going to take a couple years for reconstruction. And what she says instead is just, like, cut it off then. You know, because she wants to go back to work, and she goes back to work within a week or something like that by just amputating her arm. Now, when I heard that story, 
I wasn't shocked by it. Because in my mind, I always think those animals are dangerous. You know, I, whenever I see people like petting tigers and stuff, trying to like chill with bears, I think you don't know what you're doing. Because at any moment, that bear can turn on you, that lion can turn on you, and you will have nothing. There is nothing that you can do to defend yourself. You are completely helpless at the mercy of that animal. And that's sin. See, in this metaphor, the behavior is not the dangerous animal, the tiger. Right? The behavior, the thing that you end up doing is the missing arm. It is the symptom. The tiger is inside. The tiger, the root, the dangerous animal is what exists inside of us. The outbursts of anger, the impatience, the uncontrollable spending and debt, pornography, the drinking, the substance abuse, these things are the missing arm. It's the arm that you lost. The tiger is the desire in your heart. And we too often overestimate ourselves and underestimate sin. Again, not sins, but sin when we approach sin casually. Now, suffering, when we feel that visceral response, it is an opportunity to examine ourselves, to examine our hearts, and see what is there. So again, suffering reveals the horrors of sin, and suffering is an opportunity to examine ourselves. And here is the third sub-point here. So all suffering is meant to bring us to repentance. How is, is these three things? Suffering reveals the horrors of sin. Suffering is an opportunity to examine ourselves. So again, the third thing is this. The solution to sin is the suffering of the Son. The solution to sin is the suffering of the Son. See, when you go at sin on your own, you are just like that staffer going after that tiger on your own. You are ill-equipped and you'll lose the solution to sin is the suffering of the Son. Examining the suffering exposes the problem of, of sin. Examining the suffering of self or the suffering in the world exposes the problem of sin. But examining the suffering of the Son reveals the solution. And this is Isaiah 53, 4 says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the only way to repentance. Through the suffering of Christ. Now what is repentance? Repentance, it literally means to change one's mind. And the fuller biblical definition would be a change of mind and heart that result in a change of action. If sin is preferring something other than God to God, if it's preferring something or someone over God, then repentance is changing our mind and heart to utterly prefer God, to treasure 
God, to value God, God's presence, God's character, God's word, God's ways, God himself. How does that happen? It does not happen by will or by force. It happens when, by faith, we recognize that repentance itself has only been made possible through the suffering of the Son, through Jesus Christ. When we recognize the horrific nature of sin that produces suffering, that caused suffering to come into to the world, and the pervasive and destructive nature of it, we recognize we can't get out of it on our own, and the only way for us to truly repent is to understand both that it is impossible for us to defeat sin on our own, and that in response to that problem, God sent his own son to horrifically suffer, to be horrifically murdered for us because of our sin and for our salvation. His suffering is the consequence of our sin. And yet, because of his suffering, we are able, if we trust in him, if we put our faith in him, if we confess our need to him, we are able to defeat sin. How then do we repent? Now, I'll put it simply. Simply go to Christ. We confess our sin. We confess both our sin, that we are sinners, and that sin is in us, and our sins, that we commit these sins we confess our need. We ask for his forgiveness on the basis of Christ's work, his completed work. See, the beauty of this is that even though we are the ones who cause Christ's suffering, we are, there's no payment to be paid because he's already paid it. He has completely done it for us. We can be completely forgiven in him. And we ask him for his spirit, that we would see him, see his glory. See, when we see that, when we see what Christ has done for us, the horrific nature of our sin and what he faced for the sake of us to be pulled out of it, we cannot help but prefer him, to glorify him, to honor him, to enjoy him, to love him. Let's make that our prayer today. Uh, let's pray. And in fact, I just want to offer you some time, uh, just about a minute here to just kind of pray on your own. And um, really just, just talk to God. If you would, if, if you want to uh, step into repentance, You know, let's, let's spend some time just kind of praying. Uh, let's just be honest with God. And maybe you haven't, you haven't really done this before even. Or maybe it's been a long time since you have prayed this kind of prayer. I would encourage you, um, just kind of let's spend some time just kind of confessing. Confess to God your need. Confess to God your sin. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask God for his spirit uh, to fill you. You know, it doesn't matter if we're not all 
together in the same room. God is everywhere. God is not limited to these walls, to your screen. You know, God is right there with you. And so let's just kind of spend a, just, just spend a quick minute just praying um, and then responding to God in worship. So let's pray.